The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Welcome to Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown. The episode you're about to hear features a conversation between our own podcasting team, Herodotus Ellenus, Anita Bublik Anderson, and Jeff Amundsen, with Professor Martin Tolsgaard, a professor of medical education at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. And it focuses on some of his work about the use of artificial intelligence in medical education. We hope you enjoy. My name is Herodotus Elinas, and I welcome you to Medical Education Matters, a podcast series that we started back uh, about a year ago. I am joined uh, with my co-host, Anita Public Anderson and Jeff Amundsen, and we welcome today our guest, Martin Tolskert, who is a professor of education, I believe, obstetrics and gynecology in uh, the at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So our title today is Artificial Intelligence and Medical Education. And uh, I was intrigued and so were my co-hosts uh, with your article about big data, medical education, research, and artificial intelligence. You have been working quite a bit on this subject for many years, and we are interested to know more from you. Um, tell us a little bit about tell us about what intrigued you to work in this domain, and perhaps a little bit about big data and what brought you into this platform. Sure. Um, so I uh, was uh, trained as a medical doctor, and I did my my training in in OBGYN. Uh, and um, before that, I, I did my PhD in um, in undergraduate medical education, focusing uh, on uh, how to uh, promote uh, self-directed uh, strategies for skills training and how to uh, how how to use uh, collaborative learning for skills training specifically. And and then I did my postdoc uh, research uh, focusing on postgraduate simulation-based medical education, specifically mm-hmm. focusing on how to stimulate learning and uh, and development of, development of skills um, using simulation and also how to use uh, simulators for assessment of skills. And then came some of these big papers on AI uh, in uh, dermatology around 2017, and uh, I thought, well, this is kind of awesome because uh, if we could do the same for medical education as these guys are doing uh, for diagnostics, we could pave the way for uh, bringing the same principles as we know from the simulated setting into the clinical setting. So in a simulated setting, we have continuous uh, feedback. Uh, so we practice our skills, we get feedback after completing the skills, we practice until we have reached a predefined uh, mastery learning level or 
some kind of criteria. Um, but as soon as we enter the clinical practice, well, during our residency, we are supervised quite a lot. Uh, but as uh, soon as we, we, we finish our residency, we often work alone a lot of the time. Um, and we know that we can really rely on on our own self-assessments for, uh, for when we make the correct diagnosis and when we are wrong. I mean, we, we're fairly good at assessing our, our, uh, our, our diagnostic confidence uh, when the cases are easy, but we don't know when the cases are hard. So, uh, so, so we, we kind of need uh, to, to have some kind of technology that in the same way as in the simulator setting, offers us, us some kind of uh, feedback, offers us some kind of uh, um, strategies for learning, and uh, also helps us improve patient safety uh, at the end. So this is all about providing better care uh, at the end of the day. So so I kind of was inspired by the AI, uh, uh, the early AI research, uh, thinking, well, if we can take the principles from simulation-based medical education and combine them with AI uh, and, and this big, big data perspective, then we really have something amazing that could transform postgraduate medical education uh, in a way that 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 allows us not to work as much alone, but work with an AI as a collaborator. I hear this big data, right? So this could come into play probably in the last, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years, and people talk about this term. Can you tell us a little more about what does that mean for you? I know in your paper, you discuss some of the information and the model and how you create these pieces that can provide feedback. But can you tell for the learners, what does big data really mean to you? So I think big data means uh, something different depending on who you ask. Um, so as a medical educator, uh, I think big data may refer to uh, the the use of um, uh, large amounts of uh, student data from uh, exams or from assessments, uh, but it may also refer to large amount of patient data where uh, we have the outcomes of uh, our training reflected uh, in. So, 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 so it may mean something different as an educator versus as a clinician. Uh, so, the way I use big data is not uh, using university level data. So, I, I I'm not uh, that involved in 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 combining big uh, sources of. Uh, assessment uh, data across multiple years, but I'm more interested in how to uh, to link uh, skill levels with uh, patient outcomes um, and into how to influence diagnostic accuracy through different type of technological feedback. Um, so that is the way I use uh, the term big data. Um, but so 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 I guess the data is is, is just data. That it, what really matters is what do you want to use the data for, and that kind of directs uh, first what kind of data you need to use, but also um, uh, how much you need to use. Because sometimes um, people think that that you cannot make AI uh, without having 
millions of images and that's not entirely true i mean you can you can make some really interesting uh feedback systems uh based on what is i mean based on a, a few hundred examples um but but surely there is a discrepancy between the amount of data that we normally work with in medical education research which is i mean if you look at the randomized studies being published uh, in the academic journals it's quite often to see sample sizes around somewhere in between 40 and 60. Um, so we, we're used to having these underpowered uh, small experiments. And now we go into an era where we uh, uh, have some some algorithms that are hungry for much more data. Um, so, so for me, big data means uh, combining big data sets in a meaningful way that uh, allows me to uh, form analysis that gives me insights that are that I couldn't have with my small scale data. I have to ask then, quality has to matter here. I remember the first thing I learned as a PhD, garbage in, garbage out. So how do you, do we, how do we manage that? Yeah, I think that's an extremely important question. And and, and the problem is that if you have a look at, at, at the medical side of it, um, so if you look into the medical AI literature, and uh, see what kind of research is being published there. It's quite often um, research that aims to to state, well, we train an AI to diagnose this as good as um, an expert's XYZ. Um, and they use academic le level data. Um, so some really nice images, for example, showing something that is crystal clear. But anyone who's at, who's who have worked as a clinician uh, knows that that these images we are used to seeing in the journals and and uh, and and these academic level uh, or academic grade uh, data they, they 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 just don't reflect uh, the clinical reality we are in. It's often messy, and and the data we have is not um, crystal uh, clear and pointing uh, in one specific direction. Quite often, it's it's a big mess. Uh, and what we did in my research group uh, in collaboration with uh, uh, my, my good colleagues at, at the technical universities uh, has been to actually use that uh, because that's a key to to understanding uh, uncertainty and noise. So, so uh, being a good clinician or being a bad clinician or being good at something or being bad at something is really uh, another way of saying, well, you perform uh, with uh small variants or a very big variance so you can kind of use that kind of uh noise in your data as uh as as uh the output and and uh and also for inspiration for for for, for another way to to conceptualize what does competence really mean because competence can be sometimes uh translated into uh the level of noisiness uh in in uh, in whatever you do so I th so I think you you I completely agree uh, regarding having respect for the fact that that we can't just put in garbage and and expect something brilliant to come out, uh, but but uh, we can as medical educators we we have a different conceptualization of what does competence mean and 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 knowing that knowing how competence develops we are actually in a quite unique position to to develop uh, a, a more uh, advanced and more rich understanding of what uh, we can use uh, new technologies, for example, AI uh, for. 
Um, and I think noise or uncertainty uh, is, is a big part of that picture. One of the pieces that I saw in your article was about, you know, one of the statements was about train, test, and validate. And I found that kind of sequence a very appropriate sequence for everything that we do in whether it's medicine or life in general. How easy is it? How is it to do with artificial intelligence? I think it, it, uh, the answer is it depends. <laughs> so uh, right now, this is a field that really evolves quickly. Uh, so I am, as you guys, trained as a, a medical doctor and I have my statistics training and and, and so on. But uh, when I entered this field, uh, I was uh, completely from scratch. And I must admit, just as I don't like the idea of having one of my data scientists cut out my appendix, uh, I, I, I'm I not sure they like the idea of uh, having a clinician uh, messing up their, uh, their, their, their uh, data science. Um, so, so I think having respect uh, around the fact that this is a, a a scientific field in its own and and that you need to involve the, the proper content matter experts is important that said uh there are some some uh, instruments uh, that are becoming available right now uh, so if you want to have uh if you want to train a, a model to discriminate between uh, small video clips or images um then you can actually find some some web pages uh, with uh, software that does that for you, uh, that trains a simple network that you can download as a Python file uh, and use uh, after that. Um, so so there are some online uh, software options uh, available for segmentation of and for classification. Uh, so segmentation is when you draw around a structure, which you often want to do if you work with medical images. Uh, which can be used for feedback and also for determining, well, did you navigate a scope or a probe or an instrument in the right direction? Uh, and, and classification is, is a more sort of, is this a dog or a cat? Uh, is this a novice or an expert? Uh, and then you can also uh, have regression, which is, uh, well, how much does uh, uh, this cat weigh or what is the score for this? Uh, student uh, so so that but there are, there are instruments to handle uh, all, uh, all of these uh, types of analysis but you can actually also do some of the, this yourself uh, and and this is where you need to be cautious because uh, what I, I think you're going to see in the future is that that um, with the event of uh, of the larger language models for example GPT if you ask the the GPT4 to so the, the the latest version of GPT um, um, to or any other big uh, large language model, um, if you ask that to to write a Python script to classify uh, a small video clip into a, a novice or expert based on some input data, then it can actually do that for you. And it will make a lot of mistakes, uh, but you can actually ask it to to classify um, uh, small video clips or images uh, or, or data sets, and it'll write you the code. The problem is that you have no idea whether it's right or wrong, so you'd still need some kind of AI uh, scientist in the loop 
uh, but it's now possible to do much of the uh, the heavy lifting yourself uh, as long as you have someone who can uh, re review your code and see if uh, if you're completely off or or if it's actually working. So I tried this a few times, uh, and even I'm not even though I'm not trained as a data scientist, it actually kind of uh, works. Um, there's a lot of debugging, but but uh, it's it's manage manageable. So I think this is what the future holds for us: that that uh, the the access to these new technologies is going to be increasingly democratized, um, and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And 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 people like like me and other uh, clinicians who think we can do it all by ourselves, I mean that's clearly not correct. Uh, so so as long as we're humble about not being content matter experts as long as we are following the same principles as as i mean the same stuff we say to people when when uh, we say well don't do your uh, first medical education uh, study alone bring someone who knows this stuff and, and has tried it before um i mean we just need to do the same for 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 this discipline which is um uh really something that that can can uh, I think it can be used to a lot to answer a lot of problems that we have not a solution for at the moment in medical education. So um, yeah, that was a long answer. Sorry. I have you know I'm trained in obstetrics as well, and I'm thinking about how th this, especially we're in a in a rural area here in in Wisconsin, and I was in practice here, and it would have been. I mean, I, if I fast forward how many iterations of like AI that, you know, are to come, how helpful it would be to have that, you know, knowing what case I had in front of me and it'd be like having my own little GYN oncologist, you know, on my shoulder, helping me with this robotic surgery. You know, I, I could certainly see the utility and how it would be really nice um, to, I don't know, have that like level of vetted expertise but you know one thing i'm thinking about like how the utility in like undergraduate medical education how in like an anatomy lab or like other examples that you have like maybe in simulation where ai has has been um used yeah and 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 i mean the example that you just gave from obstetrics is a good one i mean you can find it in multiple disciplines where you'd like some some kind of uh, second opinion so there are a, a lots of examples where you have technology that doesn't give you what you actually asks for asked for. So so uh, it's easier to find bad examples than good examples, I think. Um, so and I think that is the, the the reason why we as medical educators need to get involved in this um, field and and in the de development of new technology. Take for example the. Um, I'm sure you you you've uh, all seen the automated uh, ECG interpretations, right? Mm -hmm. And it always says uh, consider inferior ischemia, <laughs> uh, and 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 if you're not in, I mean, if it's been a few years and you're searching uh, and and you haven't looked at an ECG for quite a long time, then you just call the cardiologist. Uh, so 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 that'll actually just bring more work to the table of the cardiologist than, than actually improving your care for the patient, I'm, uh, I think. Um, and, and this is something we need to, to be mindful of, that some of these technologies will perhaps work to, to catch some errors there uh, here and there, but 
but some of the technologies may also uh, over time um, uh, strip us from some of our skills uh, so that we are no longer able to perform uh, our procedures without the, the use of uh, this technological assistance. So, so this is something I think is really interesting and, and important to to explore in the future. Is, so, how does the use of AI impact our uh, not only our conception of what it means to be competent, but also how does it impact our actual skills? Does it make us better, or does it, in some cases, uh, make us worse? Um, so, students who can just look something up on Google or or ask GPT without really being active or reflective, do they process the information in the same uh, deep uh, manner as the student who had to retrieve something from memory, uh, fail at it, uh, and then go look it up and and, uh, and, and make your own model of, of uh, a concept? So, so I think... It's like having a paper map versus using Google Maps, you know? So sometimes the power goes out and or there's equipment failure and you're going to need to open and you know oh do i remember how to do an open case and do i really understand the anatomy if i don't have you know another screen or like a computer on my face like directing me what to do next you know like that level of deeper learning so and then you know understanding where the data comes from too and how reliable is it? So, and like, what kind of privacy issues are there? Like how, how, you know, for images, like how do we're, you know, we have a lot of concern about the ethics of, you know, cell lines in research, like how is our data protected or, and or utilized without, you know, like, how do we know how we're involved or whose data we're using and is it the right cohort? So, um, you know, some of the standards of medical practice of like certain ultrasound findings for endometrial stripe for like postmenopausal bleeding that's been, you know, studied and refuted for different ethnic groups um, based on, um, it was just an article I read maybe last week for my, my uh, maintenance of certification. And so it's like where the original data that gave us the guidelines were based out of the US and white population in Scandinavia, and it didn't incorporate African-Americans at all. And so they had to extrapolate and use data from a population in Jamaica to incorporate, you know, some diversity into the um, the meta-analysis. So I found that really interesting that um, some things that we've relied on, not knowing where the information came from, we just take it for granted that it was inclusive and maybe it wasn't or standardized. So I think it's a really interesting um, development. A lot of stuff going on. I mean, my mind's exploding right now with all the potential connections with this. I got a lot of things to say for sure, but uh, I'll hold back. But one thing that's catching my attention uh, to Anita's point about privacy, and if I'm understanding the segmentation concept, Martin, you were mentioning earlier, right away, I'm jumping to like, boy, anatomy lab. A student has a, student has a they, they dissect, they take a picture of the dissection, and then there's an app that allows that to be compared to, you know, a, another image. And then 
a student can say to me, I can say, well, where, where's this piece? Right. And, and they can try to point it out and I could say, well, let's check it against the, the robot. And then the robot does that's right. Kind of outlines it for him in the image. As I understand it, that would be a great place for immediate feedback in the lab. Right. And so that, but again, to the nearest point, like privacy, now that, you know, you're not taking a, a picture of the first patient's face, but you know, it's still their body kind of thing. And that, that privacy level too. Um, but I'm also hearing uh, the major theme of collaboration is really what I'm hearing kind of emerging from this conversation as we move forward and think about how do we educate uh, emerging physicians to understand how to collaborate with the AI. I was just reading an article this morning in which they had uh, chat GDP design a robot and uh, the engineers were, were taking the advice, taking helpful suggestions. For example, it was, designing a robot that could pick tomatoes and the and the chat gdp recommended using rubber hands so that the tomatoes didn't get smashed and so the engineers hadn't thought of that and they thought well okay this is a, a good suggestion to take of course later on they point out that you know there's potential for misinformation because chat you know, the robots just simply using probability and coming to the most probabilistic conclusion so how might we or what would we implement in a curriculum that would allow students to gain uh, is the skill set uh, around collaborating with uh, an AI? So I think we need to uh, begin discussing, well, what are the limitations of AI and what are the uh, the limitations that we expect there to, to continue to be around the use of uh, algorithms and technology in the future. Um, so so being aware of, of uh, uh, the, the problem that Anita just talked about with uh, its lack of uh, generalizability, so these uh, AI models that generalize very poorly uh, from one data set to another, that's an important that's important knowledge to have. Um, we did a study not uh, so many months ago where we took an award-winning uh, algor algorithm for uh, detection of uh, melanomas de developed um, for competition uh, and ran it across a big Danish data set. Um, and this algorithm that beat expert dermatologists, uh, when it came across new data, that was just filmed in a slightly different lightning setting, uh, it misclassified one third of all the melanomas. So if you don't know that that this is not something that you can just go out and do, uh, applying some kind of AI algorithm on a, a different population, that you need to know that. Uh, you need to know that it, there are biases. You, you need to know that that there can be uh, diff, uh, limitations in trustworthiness and and uh, and also in, in um, in, in what we call uh, explainability, so the fact that that uh, that for some of these models and and uh, technologies, we, it's a it's a black box. We can look into them, uh, and so we can really understand why uh, the models came to a certain conclusion. We need to know and and educate our students that that for when they use these models, sometimes they are overconfident, just as they are. Uh, they, they so these models maybe uh, have may may put out a, a confidence score of of their predictions that may be ridiculously high uh, saying well i'm 99% sure that this is a cat but but the algorithm has only been trained on cats and dogs and this was a lion 
so so it, it does it, it's never seen a lion before um but it's still 99% confident that it's a cat um so so there are numerous uh, limitations and, and weaknesses that i think we need to to start uh, beginning uh, to teach uh, in in uh, undergraduate medical education but i think it's it's also kind of like drinking from a water hose uh, so so trying to keep up with how to do the most effective prompt engineering for uh, large language models, for example. So how to write the, the most uh, effective uh, prompts, uh, uh, which is something that can be highly, uh, uh, in, uh, that, that can impact uh, the, the the use and the benefits you, you, you get out of, uh, for example, DPT uh, quite significantly. Well, that may be irrelevant in a few years. So so it, it's really difficult to to uh, look into the future and and uh, and guess what 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 do students need just in a few years from now? But I think there are some general uh, limitations in terms of generalizability, trustworthiness, um, explainability, and fairness and and bias that that are universal that that uh, should be uh, taught definitely. Martin, one of the things that I hear you say is what we've heard over, I don't know, since the medieval ages, is whatever we put in is whatever we get out, right? So if we train this artificial intelligence being well enough, that it will allow us to both provide immediate feedback and also improve not just perform, not assist with performance, but improve learning, which I think that's the critical part here, right? Assisting performance is what we see many times, but improving learning is, I think, a much more difficult task, a much more, a much higher level piece that human intelligence has at least mastered at some level, but artificial intelligence perhaps is not there yet. So, what do we do with that piece that we say the fear of me says, okay, I was reading today an article in New York Times about compassion and how doctors can use compassionate words via chat GPT or a bot that will allow them to create this text that they can then revise and provide information to the patient versus the medical student or the resident who is going to apply to a higher level training and use the chat GPT to write their personal statement. That's the fear that we have, right? That dichotomy. Where do we go with that? Do you have any thoughts, any suggestions of how do we change? How do we help our fears mitigate it for the future? So, so my my area of expertise, my focus is mainly on these narrow AIs and not on the generative AIs as a large language model. So I th find them amusing and interesting and and uh, terrifying, just as uh, as you. Uh, but but what I work with and and what I where I see uh, the potential for, for as a medical educator and a scientist uh, is in the narrow AI uh, mostly uh, for in terms of uh, providing feedback uh, in the clinical setting. Um, but but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I agree uh, 
with what you said and and I but I think at the same time that we our fears we, we often tend to fear or not be able to fear what we should be fear, fearing uh, and fearing what uh, is perhaps uh, unnecessary um so so you say well what does what has happened where does uh the ai leave us with regard to compassion uh um and 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 there are some scientists who argue well ai is what brings uh humanities and compassion back to medicine because we can free up resources uh by by getting ai to do what we don't do well and instead uh, focusing on what we are perhaps more equip- equipped for so we know that we as human beings are not very good at statistics or at uh, uh probabilistic thinking we are not good at self-assessment and and uh and and, and those uh, things and we know that uh, that an ai may be able to support us there but uh, at the same time we know that an ai is not good at uh hasn't got a general intelligence we do so an ai may be uh, better than an expert in in the various fields but it's still uh doesn't beat my four-year-old uh, son in uh pick go picking up uh what is a telephone um in in a bag full of items um and do the same uh picking up the telephone uh on the street uh mm-hmm. and so 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 uh so so because it has has no general intelligence and because it, it doesn't have true compassion only kind of these uh, correlative measures uh of what should come here uh when i write this then i think combining what we do well with what ai does well is is going to matter in the future and and uh, obviously it it, uh, it requires us to be very explicit on in terms of what uh what what do we want it to help us with and not replacing uh the things that we that make us human uh or not replacing the the things that that uh that we we perhaps do well already so when you say well, can we get AI to 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 make to 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 give us feedback uh, for anatomy teaching? Well, we can, but but I'm not sure we want to because, as we know, providing uh, concurrent feedback uh, leaves the learner worse off than providing terminal feedback. Uh, providing the answer straight up doesn't um, uh, invoke uh, uh, an active approach to learning. It doesn't. Require the learner to 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 reflect on the uh, the material to be learned learned. Um, so 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 you can make a lot of mistakes by applying technology to solve a problem that isn't really there. Uh, so for the anatomy teaching, well, it's kind of the point that it needs to be difficult because otherwise you don't process the uh, the information uh, the way you should and you don't remember it. So so learning hurts and it's supposed to hurt <laughs> sometimes. And and we're not supposed to solve a problem that that isn't there. I love that that learning should hurt because it it is uncomfortable to like push your um, your understanding and your knowledge and to struggle to uh, to know what you don't do well. And maybe that's our struggle with embracing AI. Is like, well, I want to be with people, but you're right. We don't we don't self assess very well. It's just one of one of my concerns is 
is just all the marketing surrounding AI, that it's going to solve all the problems, maybe most of them that aren't even there. And um, how do we, how can, you know, at least in the US, I feel like our limitations with our like market-based model of healthcare, you know, it's the intention of AI is going to be about like process and efficiency and less about like augmenting the humanity aspect of, uh, of healthcare. Yeah. I was interested in hearing, even as Martin was describing, um, just this notion of the humanity and learning how to ask the robot questions, right? I know right away my mind jumps to, well, gee, isn't that what we're trying to do with patients too, is learn how to ask the right question, the explicit level where we get the information that's needed. And then we say, oh, I can't prescribe you this because now I have this information kind of thinking. So they're like, right away, I'm jumping to that. Yeah, that could be a way of enhancing patient interactions too, just by simply understanding how to ask better questions through the process of developing uh, software language. Um, but I, you know, another thing that's popping up in my mind is we have all these limitations and we're the ones developing the AI. And if the biases are pulling from us, and uh, right, is so it becomes almost, oh, I'll, I'll just put it this way. So, once upon a time, music television, MTV, interviewed people that watched the show, and they would go into these teenagers' homes and they would ask them the things they like, and they would look at all the things they buy. And then they would go back and they would produce the show. And of course, eventually, it's become this, <laughs> this loop of, right imitating itself and it's just imitating itself so i guess is is that what's kind of happening here with ai i mean we're right it is a reflection of us right and our limitations and what it can do and and, and the biases and all of the human flaws are those going to end up in the ai and we're just going to end up in this loop surely i think that a lot of uh, if we don't think about it actively uh, a lot of errors are going to end up in the in the ai um so um so there's a book quite uh nice book uh called weapons of math destruction um uh, written by an american math professor um which uh which which go through uh these issues about uh the choices that you make that ultimately result in um uh, in in the uh, in bias and in, in uh, unequal uh, rights or, or uh, access to everything from insurance to uh, policing to uh, education. Um, so I think it 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 really matters what this what decisions we make when designing these uh, um, these technologies. Uh, so I think there are two important points here. Um, first we need to consider what is the problem we are trying to solve. And sometimes we are running towards the, the goal that can be solved or the goal that uh, that has some kind of uh, commercial value. Um, and um, and, and uh, sometimes uh, we, uh, we kind of uh, forget the, the principles of uh, or the theoretical foundations of medical education when designing uh, technologies that should help uh, with uh, learning or assessment. 
So, so I think this is why we we need to to be involved as medical educators in the technology development uh, to make sure that it uh, does that every kind of AI technology being developed uh, doesn't end up being uh, a replacement of clinicians and instead uh, pulling in the direction of augmenting uh, our learning and performance and also uh, pulling in the, in the direction of integrating medical education theory into the uh, how, how uh, these uh, AI technologies are, are, are being developed because take the example of concurrent versus term- terminal feedback. It's a well-known uh, principle uh, if you're a medical educator, but but uh, but it's, and it would be quite easy for you to build that into the AI development. So when should, should you give the feedback? It's quite simple. So it's not uh, very difficult on a technical level to, to make that distinction. So, so I think uh, there are many principles for effective learning uh, that we can build into AI systems. Obviously, there are biases that we need to consider. Um, and and uh, but but just being aware of what are the potential biases that we may end up building into the AI technology is a very important first step. Uh, and being very mindful of what kind of data that we use, uh, so that we don't. Uh, enhance existing biases um, uh, is 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 going to be important, but I, but I don't think uh, there's. I mean, many are concerned that that uh, what we tell the AI. So when we do the data and annotation, when we, for example, teach the AI, well, this is the uh, this this anatomical structure, and we draw around it, and sometimes we draw uh, we make it a, a, a wrong drawing so we cl- we classify the wrong anatomy for example as annotators and so we kind of build some wrong examples into the ai and sometimes uh the ai ca- is is robust against that if there is enough data so we have some examples uh from from our group where we for example um uh annotated some uh, images of the human placenta so when doing an ultrasound scan uh, as a uh, as an obstetrician, we also scan the placenta, and just getting an AI to to be able to detect the placenta and, and draw around the placenta would be nice. Um, and and we, um, we we did a study where uh, one of uh, our postdocs uh, did a lot of annotations, and it turned out uh, that uh, after we trained the model and saw how it performed uh, and kind of compared some of the uh, segmentations by the AI model with some of the uh, ground truth uh, annotations by our postdoc. Quite a lot of these uh, discrepancies uh, that we found uh, were due to error on the behalf of the uh, postdoc and not the AI. So the AI was robust against the uh, the uh, uh, occasional error uh, that uh, were in the, the, the training data set. So sometimes it's actually the opposite that we can give the AI some 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 uh, some 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 noisy data, and if there's enough of it, of it, it can uh, figure out uh, uh, some patterns uh, that uh, are are more precise than than any input uh, provided by a human. So this is one of the super strengths I I think behind AI.
That's that's fascinating. I will quickly share. I over heard students after a session in which they were presented images and stuff like that. Well, why are they teaching us this? We're just going to use the role broth in the future, anyways. So, you know, there's also yeah. Back to kind of our point we were making, right? There's there's what we want them to utilize it and learn how to utilize it for, and then there's their world, which we might be privy to or not be privy to, <laughs> in which you know they're hearing cacophony of voices saying no do it this way right this is the this is this is yeah so it's an interesting part i will add quickly as a learning and memory theorist theorist martin i'm very pleased to your point about learning hurts indeed right i often tell students you made all the wrong turns to get to the right place um but uh also adding that there's a simple little story about uh using google in which they simply said okay group a you know we're going to show you a list and you can use google later Group B, we're going to show you the same list and you're going to have to remember it. And of course, you know, who performed better on the test, you know, group B. So there is some fledgling data out there early on about those kinds of things, but lots of, lots of stuff definitely to address for sure. Martin, it, it's certainly, there is so much to talk about. I think about artificial intelligence and the narrow data versus the, um, the language models that have expanded and have in some parts taken over. I think your two pieces of advice that came out of this conversation, one is the learning should hurt. And I think that is an important piece. People should remember that we all need to fail before we succeed in order to understand what failure means. And then the second part that I thought was critical, technology advancement is an enhancement, not a replacement. And I think that's a critical piece in the world we live in. We cannot, we couldn't have done what we're doing today in this conversation 10 years ago. Maybe in a very rudimentary state, but not what we're doing in this higher level of recording and discussing and seeing each other and so on. So I think embracing it with the caveats of the limitations that exist are important pieces for us to understand. So um, any, I, those were at least my thoughts. How about any key points for our listeners from your standpoint and perhaps your future work? Well. I I I I think we you covered it quite nicely there. Um, my only addition would be that that I'm myself a skeptic uh, towards uh, this, this hype around new technology. So so I I kind of uh, like that. Or I I, I I usually tell my students that my PhD students that 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 whatever we do, uh, what whatever research we do uh, involving AI they should be able to tell the same story and make it interesting and important if they replaced uh, AI with something really dull and boring like uh, logistic re regression or something that we know we've known for forever that that hasn't any hype to it uh, so so if it's only interesting because you wrote the term AI then it's not really interesting it, and it's not going to last and it's just just going to contribute to this hype cycle that we are currently in so I think the hype is is going to to influence us quite a lot. So um, we've saw we've seen this multiple times uh, over history. So so when we twenty years ago, 
everything was about simulation and you could just write simulation and you'd get into basically any journal um, with multiple studies showing that simulation-based training versus no training is uh, better. I mean, it's not that uh, remarkable and, 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 and we, I think we're going to see some of the same stuff here with AI. We're going to see a lot of papers uh, as AI becomes uh, available to, to more and more people. We're going to see a lot of papers uh, stating, well, um, we did this, uh, we, we took this AI and uh, we explored whether providing some AI assistance uh, compared with no assistance improved performance. And it did. Um, but what we need to, to explore, I think, is, well, what else happened? Did they retain their skills uh, over time? Uh, how was their motivation? Uh, for which learners did it uh, help? Um, how did you use uh, learning theories in the development of the technologies? All these uh, things. So I think manage, uh, uh, sort of uh, finding your way through uh, this hype jungle uh, and, and managing uh, this hype uh, around uh, AI that we are in and we're going to continue to be in over the next few years, I think that's going to be quite important uh, for us to to, uh, to 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 use the technolo technological advances uh, the best way and also for us to, as medical educators, to, to benefit uh, from these advances and not just uh, state the obvious. Thank you for that reasoned, like sane approach to this flurry of of uh, excited hype that you, you explained so well. Thank you, Martin. I appreciate your time uh, spending it with us. From the Medical Education Matters podcast team, we appreciate that you have been here. Dr. Tolskert, a professor at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Um, thank you and uh, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>